2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So the death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your living word. We pray that by your Spirit, we will hear it and learn to believe it and obey it and form our lives according to it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do take a seat. Good morning. It's good to be with you again. And uh, this is the last in our short series of topical sermons on how we view the world. Today our topic is feelings and faith. And it is one of the, one of the many strange contradictions in our culture nowadays that we like to think of ourselves as uh, scientific and evidence-based, yet to a great extent we live in a culture that is feelings-based. In many situations, feelings seem to define what is true and what is right. Now, I should say at the outset that when I talk about feelings here, I don't just mean surface emotions. I also mean those deep-down feelings inside us, which are much slower to change. I think of the, the sea as an illustration of this. We were in Cornwall a couple of weeks ago and enjoyed swimming in the sea. And when you do that, you have to be aware of two things. First of all, there are the waves. And what they're like depends on many things. They can be powerful, breaking waves strong enough to knock you over, or they can be not much more than little ripples on a calm surface. And they can change quickly from place to place and from time to time. But then secondly, there are currents below the surface. The waves are obvious. The currents you can't see. Currents can be weak 
or very strong. They're not much affected by what's going on at the surface. The surface may be calm and flat, but the currents beneath can still be very strong. A powerful current that's taking you into the beach is safe. But if it's taking you out to sea, it is potentially lethal. And it's similar when it comes to feelings. There are the surface emotions which come and go, but which can still be very powerful. They're obvious to us. They're most likely obvious to those who are close to us. And there are also the deep feelings, what's going on deep down in our hearts, which others may not see. Indeed, we might hardly even be aware of them ourselves. But we need to learn to be aware of both surface and deep feelings in ourselves and in others. Let me also add something else, and this is important given what I'm going to say about how faith relates to feelings, and it is simply that feelings do matter. They are important. They are a basic part of our makeup as human beings. We ignore them at our peril. In fact, it may be that the more rational we think that we think that we're being, the more we can be driven in a certain direction by our feelings and then look for reasons to justify the direction that we're going in. Indeed, you could say that describes so much of the way our culture today works. We live in a feelings-based culture. So, for instance, often the language that is used to describe the basis of a decision is that of feeling comfortable. If we think that a particular course of action is right, we say we're comfortable with it. Our feelings are not being disturbed by it. So, for instance, the other day, there was a news report of a fish and chip shop, of all things, that uh, is being closed down by the owners. So they'd found out more about the state of the oceans and uh, fish stocks, and they'd put a sign in their shop window, and it said this, Our fishing trip was great, but turned out to be be a bit of an eye-opener. We saw the impact pollution is having on the oceans and fish stocks, and, listen to this, we are not comfortable running a restaurant that has an impact on our environment. That is to say, their feelings have been disturbed, so they're shutting down the chippy. That is the way we talk now. In our culture, this approach now so often applies to our relationships as well. What makes a relationship worth continuing with is our feelings of love. If the feelings go, or if they turn negative, many think that the foundation of the relationship has gone, and it's time to try and move on to someone else who might be able to rekindle those feelings in us. If the feeling is there, then the relationship must be right. We follow our feelings. How we view ourselves is also so often defined by how we feel deep down. We're even getting to the point, of course, um, where uh, whether I see myself as a man or as a woman depends on how I feel. So the gender assigned to me at my birth, as the saying goes, on the basis of whether I am actually 
male or female, is no longer decisive and permanent, but can be changed on the basis of my inner sense of who or what I am now. There's another and different example of this in the latest animated blockbuster that's going the rounds, Toy Story 4, which has been getting rave reviews. One of the main characters in that film is called Forky. And I'm not giving a lot away when I say that he is a toy made by a little girl on her first day at school. He is made of rubbish, including a plastic disposable fork-spoon combo, hence his name, Forky. As a result of being made of rubbish, and despite the fact that he is the girl's most treasured toy, Forky is driven by a deep-seated and powerful current of feeling that he is rubbish. He's a waste of space. He is trash. So despite the best efforts of his new friend, Woody, the wind-up cowboy, to stop him, he is constantly on the lookout for a rubbish bin. And as soon as he finds one, he rushes towards it and he hurls himself into the bin. That, he feels, is where he belongs. Rubbish belongs in a rubbish bin. No doubt Forky is a character who resonates in our culture because many people do have strongly negative feelings about themselves and those feelings drive their lives. As with Forky, that can be very destructive, not only of their lives but of the lives of those around them. When I was in my teens and in the process of coming to a living faith in Christ, for a period I felt like Forky. I was looking inside myself and I hated what I saw. I am so grateful to God that I began to learn a lesson that transformed my life and how I saw the world and how I saw myself. It's a lesson that comes from the Bible. It's a lesson about how faith, our faith and our feelings should rightly be related. I've tried to sum it up in my three uh, headings, you'll find them on the back of the yellow notice sheet. So, first of all, we learn the truth about God, the world, and ourselves not by looking inside ourselves, but by trusting what God says in the Scriptures. That is what faith is, looking away from ourselves to God. Jesus said, this is from John chapter 14, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I am the way and the truth and the life. And he said that just before he went to the cross. He said that to his disciples who were in danger of being overwhelmed by their feelings, feelings of fear, feelings of loneliness, feelings of dread. But Jesus won't allow them to give in to those feelings. They are not to look inside themselves for the solid truth and the hope that they need. They are to look to God. They are to look to Jesus. Whatever powerful currents and crashing waves of feeling swirl around, in our troubled hearts, 
Jesus calls us to do the same. It is in him and in his word that we find the truth about the way to live and about life itself. We learn the truth about God, the world, and ourselves not by looking inside ourselves, but by trusting what God says in the Scriptures. Then secondly, trusting what God says is not blind, irrational faith, but a rational response to what God has shown us of himself and to what God has done. This is where, ironically, it is us Christians who are more scientific in our method than is a feelings-based culture. As Ian was saying last week, the Christian faith is evidence-based. We depend on facts, not feelings, unchanging facts. And at the core of those facts are the death of Christ on the cross for our sins, his bodily resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, and his promise that one day he will return. These are facts of history. If we'd been there, we could have seen these things happen. We could have heard the promises being given. These are rocks that no wave or deep currents can shift. They are dependable. So the Apostle Paul says, introducing his great uh, exposition of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And he appeared. Why does the apostle say, unless you believed in vain? Because he wants us to be clear that this is not fake news, but true facts. If this was not factual, our faith would be futile. But it is fact. So he goes on. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In fact, this is true. This is unmoving rock on which you can build your life. I wonder what you make of our constant repetition of the creeds in our services. We said the Nicene Creed just a moment ago. Is it possible that subconsciously we think to ourselves when that comes up again, here we go, I can switch off for a minute now, not pay attention to what I'm saying, because this is just the same as it's always been, and I've said it a thousand times, so I don't really need to concentrate. But we need to see that is exactly the point this is fact rock that never changes and will never change. And the older I get, the more I value the deep, deep comfort of repeating these wonderful truths on which my life depends. I was given early on in my life as a Christian disciple a picture of mature Christian living that for all its simplicity is one of the most profound and helpful discipleship lessons I've ever learned. Maybe you've seen it yourself. 
So what I want you to do is picture in your mind's eye a train. And there is an engine at the front of the train. And behind the engine are two carriages. The engine at the front has in big letters, huge great letters on the side of the engine, facts. And on the first carriage, it says in big letters, faith. And then on the second carriage at the back, it has in big letters, feelings. So the engine is facts. Behind that is faith. And behind that is feelings. The engine is the facts about who God is and what he's done and what he says. And it is the engine that pulls the train of our Christian life. The carriage of our faith is fixed tight to the engine of facts and is pulled along by it. And our feelings are towed along behind our faith. We need to let our feelings more and more be fashioned by our faith. But they follow on behind. And if we put the carriage of feelings at the front of the train and we try and base our faith in our feelings and we depend on our feelings rather than the facts, then the train of our Christian life will go nowhere. That is so simple but it is very far from simplistic. It is a lesson that none of us can outgrow. We need to keep coming back to it in all the seasons of our lives as we are battered by the feelings that clamor for our attention as if they matter more than anything else. They don't. And that's not just a lesson for the individual believer, but for the church and more than ever for our culture as it sinks under the weight of its dysfunctional feelings. So, thirdly, we should keep on trusting what God says and serving Christ faithfully and joyfully, no matter what we are experiencing. In those early years of my Christian life, when I was first encountering the Old Testament and its powerful teaching, there was one prayer that made a deep impact on me. It challenged me to the core, but I immediately knew that the portrait of the life of faith that it presented had to be right if faith was to mean anything. It was the prayer of the prophet Habakkuk that we heard read earlier on. You can find it on page 787 in the Bibles. It comes at the end of the short book of Habakkuk. And it's a hard-won lesson because the prophet and his people are suffering at the hands of invaders. So the book begins, 1 verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? And the answer from God comes back and the heart of it is there in chapter 2 verse 4. The righteous shall live by his faith. What does that life of faith look like? Well, chapter 3 is Habakkuk's prayer of faith. It begins, 3 verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. And verse 13, You went out for the salvation of your people. So there is the engine of the facts about who God is and what he's done. There is Habakkuk coupling himself to these facts. But remember what's happening to him, 
to him. Things are desperate for him and for his people. Listen to the force of the storm of overwhelming feelings that's beating against him. This is 3 verse 16. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. But then listen to this for unshakable faith, verses 17 and 18. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That is, even when my present experience is entirely negative, when I don't even have what it takes to sustain life, and there is no prospect that I will anytime soon, when I've lost everything, and when I'm practically collapsing under the impact of overwhelmingly negative feelings, even then, I will trust God And contrary to all my feelings and all my present experience, I will rejoice in the Lord my Saviour. That is faith in the facts with feelings being dragged along behind. And we can see the same faith at work in the New Testament in the example of the hard-pressed Apostle Paul. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 7 to 18, page 965, Paul says from verse 8, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. There are the feelings. And then on to verse 13 where he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. There is the faith. What is his faith in? He says, verse 14, he goes on, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And bring us with you into his presence. There are the facts. So, he says, we do not lose heart. And he says back in verse 7, We have this treasure in jars of clay. That is, we may be rubbish, frail and fragile, swamped by feelings and forces beyond our control like Forky, the temporary toy, literally made from rubbish. But God is great and good and trustworthy. So we should trust him, and we should keep on faithfully and joyfully serving him. And we should keep on bearing witness to a dying world, no matter what. As those who are trusting in Jesus, it is not for us to be like the culture around us living living feelings-based lives. We are to live faith-based lives for the glory of God. Let's bow our heads to pray.
And uh, I invite us to make our own that prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. Heavenly Father, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet we will rejoice in you, our Lord. We will take joy in the God of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.